Hello, everyone, and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 120. And today I'm going to be speaking about the temptation of not doing something that I know that I should do. You know, temptation isn't necessarily about doing something you shouldn't do. You know, we looked at temptation last week. This is another temptation uh, story that Jesus uh, experienced. But uh, temptation isn't necessarily about doing something you shouldn't do. It may just as easily be being tempted away from something that you should do. In other words, you have a sense, oh, you know, there is something that's been on my mind a lot, but, you know, I've just been avoiding, I've sort of been avoiding it because, because it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah, you've experienced that, haven't you? It's, it's <laughs> in other words, the things that trip us up or hinder us or keep us stuck, often the things that stop us from moving ahead it's like, I want to make a change, but I'm ambivalent, so I don't. Or I want to be really clear with you and let you know what I'm feeling, but it might cause conflict, so I don't say anything. That's a temptation. Or I want to stand my ground, but I might be misunderstood. Or I want to face my fears, but you know, I just lack courage. I, I, I don't know, I just would, I want to. Or I want to make some big changes in my marriage or my partnership or my work, my living situation, but there's some risk involved, so I just back off. But I wish I really could move forward. See, that's all about, these are just kind of examples really of being tempted to not complete what you know you really want to do. And this is the kind of temptation that Jesus experiences in this text today. And here's the context, it's Luke 13. He is actually near the end of his ministry, the end of his life. And he's on this journey toward Jerusalem to face down whatever he needs to face down. Now, he knows that in Jerusalem, he will be arrested. He knows that he will be crucified on the cross and die. And he also knows that on the third day, his work will be completed. Now that third day, that phrase on the third day, that's all about the resurrection. In other words, death doesn't finish Jesus' story. There's a lot more to come. So he's moving toward Jerusalem at this time. The time is getting short. And this message comes from some religious leaders. Jesus, run for your life because Herod's got your number and he's out to kill you. So they're warning him, really, that King Herod is after you. So you better run. You better get out of here. And Jesus says, you tell that old fox that I have no time for him right now. I've got no time for that old fox. 
I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the work of God. I'm healing the sick. I'm clearing out demons. That's all about oppressive systems. And on the third day, I'm wrapping things up. So he has a very sure sense of what he's called to do. And he's not going to back out. And he's not going to back out even for Herod. Now, Herod was a powerful man. There's no doubt about that because he was in charge of Galilee. And he worked for the Romans, the ancient Romans. Remember, Jesus lived in an occupied land. And remember, the ancient Romans had taken over the known world at that time. And when they would go in and take over a country, they would put their own people in as leaders to keep the people subdued and keep their taxes high, keep them subservient, really. And so when Herod found out about this Jesus and his teaching, and he had this teaching about being 100%, you know, allegiance to God, 100%, I mean, that was a threat to Herod. It's like, who is this guy? 100% allegiance to God, and what does that look like? I mean, that might get people thinking, right? What if they start to follow God and they start to get very interested in being truthful or they, they want to learn how to really care for one another and make sure that people have enough food? What if they want to start to listen to what God says first rather than Herod or somebody else? You know, as soon as you give allegiance to God, then all the other people have to take second and third and fourth place. And even Herod could see this. So he's like, I need to find a way to get this guy to shut up because he might end up with a bunch of followers. And who knows what will happen? What if they start to rebel? What if they start to rebel? I could be in terrible trouble with Rome. I could lose my cushy number, which he had. He was wealthy beyond measure. He had a really decadent lifestyle, lavish, lavish lifestyle, riches beyond measure, while everyone else around him starving. And uh, he wanted to keep that. And so in his mind, he's thinking, I, I, I want to get rid of this Jesus of Nazareth. So Herod, the bully, was after him. And Jesus, on the other hand, would not turn back, not for Herod. Yeah, Jesus had lots of enemies. And, and actually, you know, when we speak about enemies, the scripture speaks a lot about enemies. And we might, when we read about Jesus having enemies or St. Paul having enemies, or when we read about, you know, the psalmist will say things like, save me from my enemies or protect me from my enemies, we might think initially, upon first reading, this doesn't make any sense to me. I don't really have any enemies. I mean, I've got some people that I find irritating. I've got some people in my life that I find them very, very difficult to get on with, and I'd rather not be around them. But I wouldn't exactly say they're an enemy, right? Lots of us would say that. Uh, but here's the thing about enemies in the scripture. Enemies in the scripture aren't necessarily people. It's not always, the scripture doesn't always talk about an enemy as 
having a body, flesh and blood. In fact, in Paul's writing, St. Paul, he has a whole chapter in this, Ephesians 5 and 6. He speaks about the enemy as principalities and powers, what we might call strong, oppressive, unseen forces. Um, here's, okay, let me, I'm trying to think an easy way to explain this in, in a way that you've experienced it. Sometimes you'll be in a work environment that's just so toxic that you, you just, it's like, I've got to get out of here. Or you're in a family setting and somebody in the family is violent or they're addicted to something and it's oppressive. And you can, you can feel that energy in the household. It's strong, it's oppressive, it's debilitating, it's frightening. Uh, lots of times enemies aren't necessarily just other people. You know, an enemy is anything that tries to harm you. It's something that's unwelcome. And it could be even yourself, because you know that old saying, I'm my own worst enemy. Yeah, sometimes we don't necessarily bring pain. Sometimes it's not other people that bring us pain. It's like we bring it upon ourselves. You know, maybe we don't like ourselves very much, or maybe we can't forgive ourselves. Or maybe we're constantly feeling guilty about something. And so our enemies are not really sort of flesh and blood. They're more inner struggles. Well, the scripture addresses all that too. St. Paul certainly had his fair, fair share of inner struggles. I think you could think of loneliness in some ways. Some way of fear. Fear of the future, it's a bit of an enemy, or feeling inadequate. Something that makes us apprehensive, something that makes us hesitant of moving ahead in some way. Most of us can relate to these types of things. And that could be, if we, if we broaden up our understanding of enemy to, to mean that, you know, something that is not good for me, it's unwelcome, I don't like it, I don't want it around. I think it's a lot more helpful than just keeping it to a very narrow understanding of a person that doesn't like me. Now, it might be, you might have people that don't like you. You might have a boss that hates you, and that will feel like a physical enemy. But again, if you, you know, you don't really have any people in your life that you would call enemies, you might have other things that harass you and cause you conflict. And when you have an enemy or enemies or that kind of inner hassle, Paul, Jesus, John the Baptist, Mary, Mary Magdalene, all of them, they all had to learn how to access a deep, inner courage that kept them on task and moving forward no matter what. So when Jesus is threatened by the bully, Herod, and when the religious leaders say to him, you know, he's after you and he's going to kill you, Jesus turns around and says, listen, 
You tell that old fox. I'm doing what I came here to do. And it's not going to be over until I have finished and accomplished everything that I've come here to do. In other words, I'm not stopping. I'm not backing down for any bully. I'm moving ahead. I'm going to do what I need to do, even though it's difficult. And he keeps on moving toward Jerusalem, where he's going to be greatly, greatly challenged, and he's going to be su- he'll suffer there too. But he moves toward it. And that's the thing about pain and suffering for us. You know, whatever our Jerusalem is, you can't really skirt around pain. You can't really skirt around suffering. You can't really skirt around the hard stuff. You have to move ahead and go forward and go through things rather than avoid. You know, avoidance will keep you stuck for decades in your life and your emotional growth and your spiritual growth. Avoidance will absolutely, um, oh, it's a soul destroyer, avoidance. Yeah, we need courage. We need we need courage. I mean, so many of us, um, we we struggle with this, don't we? I mean, Jesus had this courage. Many people don't have it, and they're so fragmented. They're pulled in so many different directions. Oh, I'm not really sure what to do. I, you know, I'm not, I, I don't really know. Jesus didn't live that way. He was absolutely sure what he wanted to do in his life. Now, for us, at different seasons and at different times, we're going to have, want to do different things. But I think it's important to have a sense of what we really want to do. You know, do I end up spending my time and my energy on things or on people or on situations that I really have no interest in? Or... Am I on track doing what I need to do, right? Am I spending my life involved with the things that really, when it gets down to it, I mean, am I spending a lot of time doing things that aren't enriching? Am I I doing a lot of things that aren't life-giving, that I'm not satisfied? And, And why? Why is that? Why am I not doing what I really want to do? It's worthwhile pondering these things. It really is, you know. If I feel called to finish college, that's the main call at this time. If if I'm sensing that the most important thing is is my two-year-old, then that is the call at this time in my life. If I'm sensing that the call is to build this business, the best of my ability with the help of God, that's the call. It's it's a purpose with the guidance and with the help of God. It's like, what is stopping me from living my life to the fullest? Is it because somebody else is telling me what to do and I'm listening to somebody else's voice? Imagine if Jesus had listened to Herod. Yeah, He would have quit doing what he's doing 
because he might get into trouble. <laughs> you mean, you never hear Jesus say things like, oh, well, I can't really do that. I'd really like to help you. Kind of like to heal you, but better not because Herod might find out about it and then I might get into trouble. He never lives that way. He, he, he does what he feels called to do, whether it's dangerous, whether it's risky, you know. Never sat around thinking, oh, I don't know, my brothers and sisters will never really understand me. And if I tell them I'm about the Father's business, I don't know, it might rock the boat. I better just stay and look after Dad's, you know, carpentry shop. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous, of course, right? But the point is, is that he absolutely knew what he had to do. You know, he's about healing broken people and however that needs to be done. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what he did. That's what he's doing. He's going to do it to the very end. He has an agenda. He has a purpose. I'm exposing what's wrong. I'm bringing healing to the nations. And I take direction from my heavenly Father, not King Herod. Like, who do I take direction from? It struck me this week just how important it is to have a sense of direction in life. Otherwise, you can end up pleasing the whims and desires of others and end up quite empty yourself. Because, you know, there's plenty of people around, most of us that, you know, are telling us what to do or how we should live life or how we should think or, well, yeah, it's fine to a point. But what is God saying to me? I read an interesting uh, observation about Jesus that in Scripture, we read of Jesus doing many things. We read of him praying and walking and eating and gathering crowds and weeping. We hear of him teaching, calling his disciples, but we never hear of him running. We never hear from running. See, this passage is about, you know, it's just this whole idea. This is another, it's another temptation passage. It's a little bit more subtle than last week's passage when he was in the desert. But it's the same thing. You know, don't be true to yourself. Jesus, save yourself. You know, you don't have to, you know, just watch out. If people like Herod are, 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 are going to be a hassle to you, then you change your goals and your life and what you do and what you say and how you behave, you know, so that you'll please someone else. Jesus is going, no, absolutely not. That's no way to live. And it's no way for my followers to live. Yeah, I read a book a few years back, Highballs. He said, we think courageous people were born without fear. But in actuality, courageous people are ordinary people like you and me who begin at some point to face their fears rather than run from them. See, that's what courage is. It's facing your fears. It's not denying. It's not minimizing 
It takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage for people to live with a life-threatening illness or to be with someone who has a life-threatening illness. It takes a lot of courage to work through grief. It takes a lot of courage to go through a divorce and not end up bitter and angry. It takes a lot of courage to, to build good, strong, lasting friendships. That takes courage. It takes courage to make up your own mind, to have your own thoughts, to have your own convictions, especially if you're surrounded by people that are very opinionated and like to tell you uh, what to think and what to do and how you're wrong and and I'm talking about people that we love here. You know, there's some strong, strong personalities out there that are very, very quick to point out what you need to do. Sometimes that can help. Sometimes it really isn't helpful because it gets in the way of listening to the Spirit of God, our first source of guidance. Yeah, I think sometimes too much advice is, is you can get too much of a, a, a good thing, can't you? You can get too much of a good thing. Uh, it's not helpful to have someone on the sidelines giving you a, a running commentary of your life. There's so much we need to figure out for ourselves between me and God. And that's growing up. You know, that's, that's, that's emotional maturity, it's spiritual maturity. It's learning who I am and what is God asking of me? Not how do you want me to live or do you approve of this? Or It's more a sense of having our own inner conviction and living our lives and serving God in a way that we believe is the right path. That takes inner strength. That takes inner strength. It takes inner strength to not be pulled in multiple directions. Whether that's at home or at work or with my children or making decisions about my future or with my grandchildren. That's a great line Jesus would say. I'm about the Father's business. I'm about the Father's business. And by the way, he said that when he was 12 years old. Can you believe that? He said that when he was 12. 12 years old and he knows who he belongs to and where he's going and where he gets his direction. I'm about the father's business. So many, so many promises in the scripture about courage. There's many of them. Be strong, and courageous, don't be afraid. Why? Because your God goes with you. When you start to walk toward your Jerusalem, right? When you start to walk toward the place where you need courage, maybe you really do need to sit down and have that conversation. Maybe you really do need to um, deal with this situation that's been festering for such a long time, you don't even know where to start. 
maybe you really do need to change direction, whatever it is. When you look at your Jerusalem, your first temptation is going to be, oh, I don't know, it's too hard, maybe not. It's just a temptation that can be put to the side. God said, no, you can do this because I am going with you in this. I'm with you in this. We're never ever left alone to figure all these things out, but we have the power of God, Holy Spirit, in us, around us, helping us, guiding us, giving us the courage that we need. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher. It's our prayer, it's our heart cry. God, give us the courage that we need to move toward the painful places.